Welcome to Marvelous Disney with Aaron Adams, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill, and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, November 1st, 2023. And I just want to start off this week's show, folks, by saying this is probably a date you're going to want to remember in the future, because it is quite likely going to be seen as a demarcation point between when Marvel Studios could do no wrong and when it looked like Marvel Studios couldn't do anything right. Before we get started here tonight, I was asking you if you had seen the cover story for Variety, the, the uh, Tatiana Siegel story. Yeah. And for those of you who haven't seen this, folks, the headline is Crisis at Marvel, Jonathan Major's Backup Plans, the Marvel Reshoots, Reviving Original Avengers, and More Issues Revealed. And that all by itself is enough to get your attention, but the details of the 2,726-word article, they lay bare every behind-the-scenes misstep and mistake that Marvel has made over the past four years. In fact, that's actually an important part of the story, that we are just four years out from peak Marvel. When Avengers Endgame came out and made $2.7 billion worldwide, and everybody at that time, was celebrating the genius of Kevin Feige. And kind of reminds me, I had a conversation more than two decades ago now uh, with Kim Masters. She's a longtime entertainment writer for The Hollywood Reporter. And she was working on a book about Michael Eisner's reign at the Walt Disney Company. And, and at the time, Eisner was doing so well, Kim's subtitle for the book at that time was The Rise of Michael Eisner and the Fall of Everybody Else. <laughs> That's a great title. It is a great title. But by the time Harper Collins actually published Keys of the Kingdom, that was the main title of the book, and this was March of 2000, had a very different subtitle. It, it was now How Michael Eisner Lost His Grip, and it detailed all of the missteps that Michael made that eventually led to him stepping down as head of the mouse house in September of 2005. And books are like that. You start writing a story thinking this is where it's going to end, and then you're overtaken by events, which makes me think of what must have happened with MCU, the reign of Marvel Studios. Uh, this is that behind-the-scenes book we've been talking about here on Marvelous Disney for a couple of weeks now. Uh, this is uh, the one that's written by Gavin Edwards, David Gonzalez, and Jonah Robinson, published by LiveWrite. When this book was commissioned, it was supposed to be a celebration of Marvel Studios. But by the time it hit the market last month, uh, the narrative had changed thanks to Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, the, the, the iffy effects in that film, and, and how several of the limited series that Marvel Studios had put out for Disney Plus didn't exactly have stellar ratings. And there's an old pornographic joke that ends with this punchline. Having a good time? Great. Good to hear, because next week you're the one in the barrel. 
<laughs> because I want to remind people, just six months ago, it was David Zaslav, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, who's the one in the barrel, so to speak. Uh, you know, he was the one that everyone in Hollywood was talking about because he'd ordered Batwoman and, and Scooby-Doo Haunted Holiday destroyed for tax purposes, so Warner's could have a tax write-off, and it's like... Now, thanks to this piece in Variety, it's Disney and Kevin Feige's turn in the barrel. And, and we're going to spend the bulk of today's mud talking about why that is. But first, I want to remind you, the news portion of Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Touring Plan's very own travel agency. And if you're heading on down to Walt Disney World anytime soon, these obviously knowledgeable folks can help. They'll, they'll even toss in a free subscription to Touring Plan's with every vacation package you buy. So before you book your next trip to Florida, please check them out at touringplans.com backslash travel. So... Even before this Variety story, Marvel and Disney were dealing with some very bad press. And what Ike Perlmutter did earlier this week, I, I wonder if you know, anybody's helping Bob Iger take that knife out of his back. You saw this, right? The, that he gave his voting shares to Nelson Pels, the billionaire who's trying to get several seats on the Disney board of directors. Pels had expressed concerns about the Disney stock price, and he actually had a, a list of things he wanted Disney to do. One of them was, was sell off ESPN and wanted them to turn around some of the, the pricing that was going on the, uh, at the theme parks and, and so on and so forth. But Iger it came back, and for a time, Nelson stepped back. But now Perlmutter has joined forces with this guy. And remember, Perlmutter and Iger don't exactly get along anymore. I mean, it was Iger who made the move to sort of step in and protect Kevin Feige, sort of cut off Marvel Studios from the Marvel Corporation. It's effective. He's under the direct control of, of Disney right now. So, Ike, you can't continue to, to bother Kevin. He's got important things to do to, to make movies. And Ike has never forgotten that. And so listen to this statement. While I was a Disney employee, I was not comfortable publicly stating my views on the company and its performance. As someone with an, a large economic interest in Disney's success, I can no longer watch the business underachieve its great potential. And he didn't give this interview to, like, the Secaucus Journal. This was the Wall Street Journal. Did he lay out his grand plan of like everything they're doing wrong versus everything that he would do right in in this article and, or just say, you know, they're doing bad, I would do good? No, I mean, what he literally did is give uh, Nelson Pell's control over his voting shares in the Walt Disney Company. And this supposedly will set up a proxy fight later on this year. Which, given what's been going on with, with the Disney stock price, I, and I, you were mentioning you noticed it, it was up today. No, no, it's it was it was still down, just mm -hmm. not a lot. It was uh, only a fifty-two cent drop today, but the current closing price was eighty-one dollars and seven cents. But it was only in like September of last year when the price of that was closer to uh, uh, 118. So that's yep. like almost a, a $40 drop since then. You know, that's that's like a quarter of its, uh, or uh, like 30% of its value in, in the last year. Yeah, and the Wall Street Journal points out this is a nine-year low 
for the company right now. Well, I mean, couldn't we point to a number of things along the merry way that could also be a part of it that just aren't Marvel? Like the, the fact that they're doing all the live action remakes of old animated classics that I don't think are necessarily setting the world on fire. And It is so interesting that you say that because did you see the latest South Park special and joining oh, the Panderverse? No, oh, okay. Oh, God. Okay. This aired on Paramount Plus this past Friday, October 27th, and Cartman woke up from a dream where he had been replaced by a diverse woman. And this is literally a piece of dialogue from the show. You know, it wasn't me. They, you know, they were taking all my favorite people and replacing them with diverse women who complained about the patriarchy. And Disney stock kept going down and down. I mean, they literally worked the stock price problem into the mm -hmm. show. And what eventually happens over the course of the show is Cartman is indeed replaced by a black woman, but he's sent through the multiverse and eventually has a sit down with Kathleen Kennedy, who explains what has happened. And it turns out she has been misusing a secret Disney artifact called the Panderstone. <laughs> That is the most brilliant name for a thing ever. ever. Okay. Okay. But this, this is what the studio has been using to remake the same ideas over and over and over again to try to appeal to the largest audience possible. And they used it so often it kept, you know, eventually the Panderstone kept giving them the same note as to what they needed to do to make the film work. It was like, put a chick in it, make her lame and gay. So the Ike Perlmutter thing uh, happens, and that's after the South Park episode airs. And then, of course, we get the news that the Marvels, it's opening weekend. Box office projections now are low end, $45 million. Highest possible gross for the film at this point is supposedly $67 million in North America. And just to put that in perspective, remember when... Captain Marvel opened in March of 2019. It made $152 million in, mm. in North America. So it's entirely possible this thing, ticket sales will be off by two-thirds. And they showed no mercy in this Variety article. We've talked about how they had to do reshoots, and, I, and Aaron, you mm. were pointing out that, well, you know, this was being shot during COVID, and there were all sorts of issues. But here's the thing. The final cost of the Marvels is supposedly $250 million. And original Captain Marvel, $152 million. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they've already $100 million. But, but evidently what happened, the gimmick of this movie is that every time one of these ladies uses their power, they then swap places in the universe with the other member of the trio. What evidently happened is they first ran it in-house, in and then, to be sure, they had the problem they thought they had. They did what Marvel never does, which is a, a test screening out in the wild. This was evidently done in Texas, and the audience was, were confused. They could not follow the gimmick of the film. And in fact, what's ironic is just in the past week, Marvel released an action scene where it's Carol Danvers fighting in Kamala Khan's family's home. Mm -hmm. And Kamala goes to throw a punch and then suddenly 
she's on the space station where Photon was, along with Nick Fury. And it's the way it's cut together, I mean, it's a great fight scene, and it looks amazing, and there's fun performances by uh, Amalan Vellani and uh, Brie Larson and likewise Samuel Jackson. But evidently, this confused the audiences. So they had to do four weeks of reshoots to try to bring the storyline together. I don't know. You said that it was shown in Texas. I think they were confused by three independent women. (laughs) <laughs> like that right there is like why why ain't there a man telling these people what to do <laughs> okay <laughs> moving on um as a direct result the marvels which had previously been scheduled or originally been scheduled to go out into theaters july 8th of 2022 reshoots forced it back to november of that same year then it just got to the point where it's like okay we're going to push this off to february of 2023 they felt it needed further massaging, and so they said, all right, Ant-Man of the Wasp Quantumania is in better shape than the Marvels, so let's swap these two. And that supposedly is actually the moment that the wheels fell off. Now, we've talked previously about issues with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania's visual effects, but the Variety story lays it out in ridiculously painful detail. All they had to do was just put up a picture of Modoc and go, Your Honor, I rest my case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But what ended up happening is that one decision, swapping the release dates of that film, Quantumania lost four and a half months of its post-production. In fact, the, the Variety details how when the film premiered, uh, there were actually 10 scenes in the movie where the effects had been added uh, literally at the last minute. You know, I mean, uh, within 24 hours before the film premiered and they were they were out of focus. Now, mind you, they were able to they had 11 days before the movie went into theaters and they were able to address some of these issues. But the damage was already done. I wonder if those were some of those background shots I was complaining about that you just couldn't see any detail of the uh, the quantum verse or whatever. And uh, yeah, those were all blurry as heck. But those you would think should be, I don't know, like can't you just take a, another shot from a different scene, flip it upside down, change the color a little bit and go, there, it's different. But still leave it in focus. I don't know what to tell you there. I mean, remember the stories we heard about how the ending changed. So I, I think at one point it was oh, like, yeah, there's you, that, yeah. you know, which baby do you save here? You, you, the movie needs a, a well, decent, you know. I think we could then just change the whole way that we look at this and go, mm-hmm. if this were a chef in a kitchen, mm-hmm. would you serve the raw just because you're you've promised that dinner would be served at eight precisely or would you send someone out and go i'm sorry for everybody's safety we're not going to serve you the raw chicken we're going to wait till 8 10 and everyone's going to go okay and uh if you think about it like that if they were having problems if it wasn't done i know they put money you know into the release dates but they've already swapped it once what's the the difference if they just go hey you know what let's let's push it back a month or, or do we need two months or three months or whatever? I know it's inconvenient and you got to spend more money, but it's better than putting raw chicken in your consumer's mouth and going, enjoy. Mwah. But the thing of this variety of stories, it's just relentless. I mean, it talks about the efforts to repair or deliver coherent entertainment with the Marvels 
dragged on for so long that Nia DaCosta, the the director of the movie, actually left to go direct another movie. He went to London and began work on a, a new Tessa Thompson movie, Hedda. And as this article quotes one source, it's like, when you're directing a $250 million movie, it's kind of weird the director leaves for a few months to go work on something else. The other issue here is the article actually starts off with mentioning that back in September, they had an annual retreat of creatives for Marvel Studios. And normally, this is a time for celebrating. They all gathered out in Palm Springs. And this time around, the issue at hand was, what do we do about Jonathan Majors? And in fact, get the klaxon ready. <laughs> no, here we go. Uh, oh, okay. That is loud. Okay, go ahead. We're clear. Okay. The, the spoiler ahead here, folks, that evidently the final episode of season two of Loki definitively sets up Kang the Conqueror as the big bad for the next few phases of the MCU. And it was just one of these things where it's like, what do we do with this guy? We already saw what happened with Ant-Man Mania that underperformed at the box office. So this isn't a question of we teased Thanos and built him, built him, built him, built him. You know, we said this is going to be the guy and this didn't work. And so supposedly in this gathering at Palm Springs, they began talking about how they could table Kang the Conqueror somehow and we'll go with Dr. Doom. Oh, shit. My heart jumped. I'm sorry. I got scared there. Okay. okay. When, when, you, when you said the word doctor, yep. I, just for a split second there, mm-hmm. I imagine Kang going into a blue phone box. And then he'd come <laughs> out and he'd start like regenerating. And then all of a sudden, poof, a different actor would appear. And we would just call him Dr. Kang. Yeah, and that and that would kind of just by having that one simple crossover, you've got your recasting solved in a most brilliant science fictiony nerdy sort of twisty timey wimey sort of way. You do understand that Disney just signed the deal to put Doctor Who on Disney Plus. Yes, sir. Okay. Yes. It's a part of me that's really afraid that someone at Marvel is writing this down in a yellow legal pad right now. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, that's that's brilliant. Yeah. And if it is, if you do do that, again, the check goes to Aaron Adams. But we've talked on this show about how the Thunderbolts was supposed to be the MCU movie that brought Doctor Doom on the canvas. Now, in May of last year, just ahead of the beginning of shooting in June, they paused production, and that was largely because of the writer's strike. Is that supposed to be coming out still before Kang or Secret Wars? Or is that beyond on the other side of that? They haven't rescheduled it yet. So where is it? Is it still pre, before all of the Secret Wars and stuff? At its yeah, no, no, state? no. It, okay. it, it's definitely supposed to come out before Secret Wars. Well, that would be interesting because that would just mean that Doctor Doom is going to be in Secret Wars, right? I mean, you can't not have him. Yeah. You can't introduce him and then leave him out. You know, I mean, as soon as you get Dr. Doom on the stage, the next thing we're all going to be crying is more Dr. Doom, please. We've been waiting forever. Yeah. But supposedly one of the reasons they were going to sort of tease him in Thunderbolts was that, you know, we still have our Fantastic Four film bubbling up. Anyway, back to the flat-out embarrassing stories in this variety piece, they go into painful detail about how She-Hulk, as originally written and shot, 
Jennifer Walters' character didn't actually change into the film's title character till eight episodes in. Holy shit balls. Well, the whole notion was that, you know, that it was a, a legal procedural drama and that only very late in the game she be, she became the character. And it was only after they began screening it in-house and getting notes from folks and it's like... It, the title She-Hulk. When does she become the She-Hulk? And right. they wound up having to reach. I mean, again, we heard stories about reshoots, and and at that time they were telling us it was about tone. They were trying to find yeah. a comic tone for the show, and no, they were trying to go back and and make her She-Hulk in episode one, which drove up the cost of the show to twenty five million dollars an episode. And this is the the thing that. I think Feige is going to have some problems with is that th that happened on She-Hulk and yet they didn't learn from the mistake. Daredevil Born Again, which remember, just got shut down. And one of the things that, that Feige supposedly watched all of the footage and it was like Matt Murdock didn't suit up as the Daredevil till three episodes in, that it was largely right. a legal procedural. And it's like, that can't work. So that's why they've went off and found a you know new showrunner and they're looking at all those episodes and trying to determine, well, how much of this do we really need to reshoot? And Now, to be fair here, the article places a lot of blame on Bob Chapek, who pushed Marvel Studios to produce too much content. He was just, you know, it was like, I got Disney Plus, I got to get people to subscribe. There were a couple of articles last week that sort of, you know, and these keyed off of MCU, the Reign of Marvel Studios book, which talked about how he would force Marvel to announce things that just weren't ready. I just want to interject there. The, the one thing that I don't think anybody's putting into this equation right now is the incredible diversity that Marvel is providing in its shows mm -hmm. by way of... The very first thing you know we got with uh, WandaVision mm -hmm. was like a throwback to Bewitched and, and mm -hmm. things like that. Very, very specific in its flavor. Mm -hmm. And then you go into like almost this Bond-esque spy escapade with uh, the Winter Soldier, uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Mm -hmm. You know, totally different tone. Mm -hmm. And then you get into Loki with the, the time travel and at the end of time and, and all of this world building. You know, I mean, again, completely different in tone from the other two that came before it. Mm -hmm. It is like, here's something that is unique to the character. Mm -hmm. And in tone, like She-Hulk is going to be completely different in flavor than anything else that came before it because it's it's a She-Hulk show. Mm -hmm. And so they don't, they don't have the ability to cookie cutter anything. They don't have the ability to reuse the resources over and over and over again, right? I mean, everything is made from scratch. And, uh, and is doing unique world building in its own corner, even though it's all connected and they've got their minor, you know, threads here and there that, that connect them, you know, tenuously. It really doesn't matter. It's still its own very unique thing. And, uh, yeah, no, no other company is that big and that grand. So I don't think it, that it's been a failure. I just think that it's never been done before and, and it's hard to, um, you know, focus the scope. And it's worth noting here that over the course of 32 films, never mind about the limited series for Disney Plus, you know, Marvel has made $30 billion for the Walt Disney Company. The problem right now is 
that they're spending more and more and making less and less. And Mm -hmm. when we get back, we're going to talk about some of the the changes that are coming to address that issue. You know, what they're going to do budget-wise and more to the point, what they're going to do to try to get the audience to come back. Look, folks, I, I know this show has been somewhat of a downer, so... For a, a creamy nougat center of the show, mm. before we get back to the somewhat depressing Marvel-related news, on last week's show, uh, Aaron, you you had just started playing Spider-Man Two for the PS5, and I had some pretty wonderful things to say about it. I'm going to assume that you kept playing over the past week. And mm-hmm. have we traveled to new parts of the city? Have we learned new things? What's going on? I don't want to get too spoiler heavy. Um, okay, so there's a couple of, of good things mm-hmm. there, and there's a couple of bad things. And uh, some of the bad things, mm-hmm. and this is kind of funny because I was outside early one morning tending to the cats, mm-hmm. and my neighbor was getting ready to go for work, and he was like, have a good day. And I was like, hey, it's my day off. I'm going to go play some Spider-Man mm-hmm. on the PS5. And he stopped, and he's like, <gasps> me too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he had, oh wow! Yeah, he okay. purchased it, and and uh, it was his day off, and and he was just getting ready to go, you know, clean the apartment a little bit, and then go play Spider Man for the day. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah. And so he was asking, you know, do you have to do any stealth Mary Jane missions? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you do. You got to sneak around, and if you get caught, you know, it's all bad. So though, that's like a thing that. You know, you're you're swinging around the city and you're beating up bad guys and you're having a great time and a uh, hundred miles an hour and then it goes put on the brakes. You gotta sneak around as Mary Jane for the next twenty minutes and you're like, ah, damn it! And it feels like a chore to oh. to get through that to the. I mean, it's there's storytelling in it and it breaks up the game a little bit, so you've got some variety to it. But mm-hmm. it's like everybody I talk to is like. Damn that Mary Jane stealth mission. <laughs> and uh, so very similarly to that, although, man, it's weird because you feel like the developers listen to your your chats. You know, they're they're reading all of your critiques and they go, all right, you bastards, we'll show you. And so what happens is uh, in the first two games, Spider-Man and Miles Morales, Spider-Man, Mm-hmm. There's uh, the Pigeon Man. Have I told you about the Pigeon Man, Jim? I, I don't do think I have. Believe nah. you have. All right. In the first two games, you come across this guy, and he he tends to pigeons, and he's always missing a pigeon. Damn it! Mm-hmm. I'll ask you. We go find my pigeon, and sure enough, you go swinging across New York City, looking for this guy's pigeon. And uh, first game, I was like, "Damn you, Pigeon Man! Can't you keep track of your pigeons?" The second game was playing as Miles Morales. I was like, ah, oh, it's the Pigeon Man. Son of a b-. I hate you, Pigeon Man. Mm-hmm. Game number here in, in Spider-Man 2. Mm-hmm. Come across the Pigeon Man. And the first thing I said is, damn you, Pigeon Man. And then he tells me a story. And it's a very sad story. And I don't want to ruin it, but he asks if you would take his pigeons and set them free. Oh. Yeah, yeah, you, you see it coming a mile away. Mm-hmm. And you go set his pigeons free, and you get back, and the old man died on you. I cried for a digital character, Jim. It worked. the oh. The story worked, and I was like, "Pigeon Man, mm-hmm. no, come back, Pigeon Man. I didn't mean it. Please take the birds." But anyway, 
Wow. They, they oh. yeah. So what I mean when they say they're they're reading your comments is mm-hmm. every everyone was like, "Damn that pigeon man! Mm-hmm. I hate that pigeon man." And they're like, "Oh yeah, okay, we'll get rid of the pigeon man, but you'll be sorry. You'll cry." And they did a really nice job with the story that they told. And they and uh, let me tell you, you saw it coming a mile away. Mm-hmm. The foreshadowing, <laughs> it was thick, baby. Because you had to swing all the way across New York City and back, and, and the whole time you're like, oh, man. Pigeon Man's about to die. I know it. I just feel it in me bones, Jim. He's about to die. Anyway, to, mm-hmm. to move off of that. So, yeah, without g- g- giving the major spoilers away of the major story mm-hmm. arc and all of that, I just want to say that they do a really great job with storytelling moments, big and small, right? Mm-hmm. They, they do that very, very well. And, uh, yeah, you got you to gotta fight Craven. He's your big bad. So you do that thing, and uh, obviously Venom is involved, and you mm-hmm. got to do that thing. And uh, oh yeah, there's there's a side character, mm-hmm. and I, I don't want I'm not gonna hmm. Oh, hold on, let me get let me get the klaxon real quick. Okay. All right, all right. Now the klaxon is cleared. Mm-hmm. There's a character in here. Uh, there's a cult of of evil people, and they're known as the Flame. Okay. And uh, they're led by a guy with shockingly red hair and a red beard. And I didn't really think anything of it because they just called him the flame. Oh, great flame. And uh, yeah, so I'm playing through the game and it's the flame and, and the flame, flame, flame. He's got red hair. It makes sense. And then mm-hmm. he ends up getting a little bit of the symbiote. And he was talking about how it's all been a ploy so he could get his hands on the symbiote and release mm-hmm. upon the world a great carnage. And then they go, oh, yeah, uh, we looked him up in the database, and he goes by several aliases, and blah blah and blah blah and uh, Cletus Cassidy is one of his names, and uh, anyway, moving on. It is like, what, 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 what the hell just happened there? Whoa. What the hell just happened there? Uh, at, at some point, you know, he, he gets away, and you're chatting with some law enforcement person, and they say, well, I'm going to go try and track him down, but it could take months, even years. And I thought, oh, so it's, it could either be DLC coming in a few months or Spider-Man 3 coming in a few years yeah. with Carnage as the main character, I would think. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not going to dangle that thread that hard and then and then leave it be. Oh, no, no, no. Right. No, no, no. So, uh, yeah, that, that's that. And then, and then, you know, there's there's more to the game, but uh, I think I've ruined enough of the plot points that uh, we should just move on. But it's thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyable. I, I will say one other thing that's not plot-related. Swinging through New York City, I never saw a duplicate thing. Like, I'd go to a, a work site, and there'd be, mm. like, you know, uh, construction helmets and wrenches and, you know, two-by-fours and scaffolding and what you would expect to see at a construction site. And then you go to a playground, and there's playground stuff, and there's kids. And then you go to, you know, somewhere else, and there's a park, and there's art and museums and graffiti on the walls. And, like, I never saw the same thing twice Every building really seemed like unique architecture. You know, the bricks were different. Like, everything about it seemed... Like, like, I feel like I've been to New York in a way where if I go to New York and I don't see Oscorp, I'm immediately pissed off. Like, where is Oscorp, by the way? I was promised here at this intersection is where Oscorp was. Wow. Yeah, so it, it's a really wonderful recreation, a uh, quasi, you know, fictional recreation of New York where the, the big landmarks are actually mm-hmm. located and and uh, you can go visit like the Guggenheim and obviously Times Square mm-hmm. and and all of the the big places but also uh, the Sanctum Sanctorum put that on the hit list obviously you got to climb to the top of Avengers Tower because it's the tallest thing in in this version of New York City but 
yeah, so anyway, great game, a lot of fun. If you have a PS5, you probably already have it because that's what you bought the PS5 for is great big games like this one. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, so hopefully you enjoyed your, your creamy new good folks because we're, we're, we're getting back to the dark chocolate now. And what this Friday story wasn't the only bad news that Disney got this week. I, I don't know if you saw the controversy that sprung up when Disney released its first look at the, the CG dwarves for Snow White. I saw that there was a photograph, and I, f I figured that obviously that there will be many people complaining about a subject that I could care less about. There we go. Was that usually what happens is someone's... You, you pretty much nailed it in one. But if you think about, uh, we were talking about the Perlmutter thing. We were talking about the South Park episode. It, the, geez, they don't like Snow White, our CG Snow White thing. Mm. And so, and, and then when the variety story broke, Disney had to change the narrative. So... This afternoon, after the markets closed, the Walt Disney Company revealed that it would be paying Comcast $8.6 billion to purchase the remaining 33% of Hulu. And we've all known this deal was in the works and, you know, but it's the timing. It's Disney needed to do something to change the narrative. Well, I know that they didn't want to have this whole variety article give them a black eye right away, but also, hey, we're not willing to pay writers and actors. Like, all right, we'll pay the writers, but not the actors. Oh, we'll pay $8 billion to buy out Hulu, but we're not going to pay the actors who we need to actually be on Hulu. I mean, the timing is not in their favor necessarily, even right now, even though they're trying to cover up another thing. And it's interesting you mentioned that because all week long there have been these stories about how the actors and the producers are getting closer to a deal. In fact, I want to say just today, there was yet another optimistic article about, you know, we could have a deal as early as Thursday or Friday. So here's hoping that, you know, that will actually happen. But we've talked recently on the show about how uh, Agatha Darkhold Diaries and Ironheart got pushed way back. Dark Old Diaries is now going to be the event programming for Halloween of 2024, and Ironheart got pushed all the way back to 2025. We mentioned earlier in today's show how new showrunners have been hired for uh, Daredevil Born Again. They're trying to turn this around. But again, there's that $250 million that wound up being spent on the Marvels. And one of the messages, especially with uh, a Nelson Pels and an Ike Perlmutter talking about how Disney is underperforming, is the company has to be more fiscally responsible. So Blade, which this was going to happen, then it got stopped, then they hired new writers. Actually, the Variety article goes into why they hired new writers. And in fact, it almost verges on Panderverse parody because here's a quote. One person familiar with the script of permutation said that the story for Blade at one point morphed into a narrative led by women and filled with life lessons. And in this version of the movie, Blade was relegated to the fourth lead and which people pointed out, that's a bizarre idea given that the studio had lined up two-time Oscar winner Mahershala Ali as the lead. 
so remember when Ali was supposedly getting ready to leave the film? Yeah, because he didn't like the script. He didn't like the script. Uh, yeah. Feige actually went back to the drawing board. And here's the interesting thing. Feige's way of fixing this was to hire Michael Green. Uh, he's the guy who wrote Logan. But again, now they want Blade for $100 million, which, again, that's two-thirds of what the company spent in 2019 on Captain Marvel. It's worth noting that in MCU, the, the reign of Marvel Studios, uh, they talk about the first Iron Man movie and how that was a superhero movie done with an art house sensibility. You know, we only use the effects when we need the effects. This is really mostly about character. I was wondering for the Blade movie, we don't know anything about the script right now, but there's I a couple do. of different ways that they could go. If they went like how Wesley Snipes did it, remember it started off with the the scene in the club with, you know, him killing a hundred raving vampires and mm -hmm. all that. Mm -hmm. And they would burst into cinders and turn to ash and it looked really cool. Mm-hmm. So you could either do a, I'm going to kill 100 vampires per minute type mm -hmm. thing, mm -hmm. or you could go and do, I'm hunting Dracula and make it like the slow burn thing where he's, you know, only goes at, out at night and he finds the victims, you know, make it dark like seven, you know, like a David Fincher film. And he's, he's hunting the serial killer. And then you have the big showdown at the end. If you do that, you can do that cheap. You know, because that's just atmosphere and, and a dude doing his investigation and then a big battle at the end. It's so interesting you bring up Dracula because just in today's mail, my copy of The Art of Werewolf by Night showed up. Mm -hmm. And that was very tightly focused and was very entertaining, I thought. Yeah. So, yeah, your idea of him hunting Dracula, a really big bad, that would be interesting. The other thing the article sort of pointed out was like one of the reasons why Marvel Studios might be looking to save money on Blade was, to be honest, they, they would need money for the stunt that would turn this around, which now brings us to Avengers Secret War. And, and as anybody who's listened to this podcast knows, Aaron and I have been discussing the the conceit, you know, that supposedly Feige, for the better part of two years, has been reaching out to everyone who's ever appeared in a Marvel-related movie. And we're, we're talking about the the X-Men that were done by Fox, both sets of the cast of the Fantastic Four, folks who appeared on TV shows, with the idea that there's going to be a scene at the end of Secret Wars. I, I hope that if you squint real hard in the background, you can mm -hmm. see Corman's Fantastic Four in, in there as well. I, Just I, like, we, we made it, Mom, Dad, look, we finally made it. <laughs> I would be happy with that too. But again, this is from the Riot article. Sources say there have been talks to bring back the original gang for an Avengers movie. This would involve... Reviving Robert Downey Jr.'s Iron Man and Scarlett Johansson's Black Widow, both of which were killed off in Endgame. I mean, if you just are, you can pluck any of them from a different multiverse willy nilly, and and there's no writing involved in any of that. You know, I mean, it it seems pretty straightforward of a of a concept right now, where any fan is just like, yeah, yeah, let's just get on with it. <laughs> we know what you're up to. Go for it. 
And, and speaking of getting on with it, the immediate problem right now at Marvel Studios is the Jonathan Majors situation. As we mentioned, do we klaxon again for this? Uh, yeah, I, I guess so. We'll go one okay. more time. It's a three klaxon show, everybody. <laughs> there we go. That, that that Kang is teed up as the big bad for the, the next phase or so of the, the MCU. And what this article goes on to emphasize is the studio is genuinely sweating the story we shared on last week's show about that, that incident that happened in London. Evidently, Variety's got their hands on a court filing that details why uh, Jonathan Major's ex-girlfriend needed to seek medical attention. And the issue that Marvel is particularly sweating at this point is that at the time this incident happened, this young lady was working on Quantum Mania as a movement coach. And also, you know, the incident happened while Majors was shooting season two of Loki. So it has the potential to muck up two uh, Marvel Studios projects. And to give you some idea of how much this concerns Disney and Marvel, on October 27th, uh, Disney actually pulled another film, uh, Magazine Dreams, completely off of its uh, release schedule. And this film starred Jonathan Majors. It's going into the vault and nobody knows when it's coming back out. This has not been a year of total disaster for Marvel Studios. You know, we had Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 made $845 million worldwide. However, the article couldn't hit but point out, well, of course, that was directed by James Gunn, who has since left the MCU to go over and run DC Studios. And the year ahead has one bright spot, something that fans are just chomping at the bit to see. And, of course, that's Deadpool 3, the, the Ryan Reynolds-Hugh Jackman team-up. When are you going to start saying it's the Ryan Reynolds-Hugh Jackman-Taylor Swift team-up? Uh, let's see if that actually happens. But <laughs> it's fascinating to have been reading MCU, the, the Reign of Marvel Studios, which, again, it starts off as a celebration, but it, in the, the later chapters starts to talk about how it kind of got away from them. And they talk about the Marvel process, about Kevin Feige's name in-house is Kevin Fix-It. When, you know, something comes through and it's not quite, what they need, they will reshoot, they'll do new effects. And this worked right up until it didn't. Well, what changed? What what happened? Why why did it work at one point and then stop all of a sudden? What was the thing that made it quit working? What Joanna and her, her fellow writers on MCU, the, the, the Reign of Marvel Studios, suggest, it was more a case of, and it just trying to control too much at the same time. You know, I mean, when it was a Marvel movie a year or two Marvel movies a year, it was manageable and it all linked together and they were still special. But now that it's three Marvel movies a year and three limited series for Disney plus, plus animation, plus things for the theme parks. Mm. The sense is it got too big. And, and more to the point, there was a glut on the market. It was, well, I missed that movie, but Marvel products became like a bus. You know, there'll be another one along in five minutes. Don't worry about it. Realistically, what Variety is talking about here is, 
when you look at something like $250 million to make the Marvels, and you have a box office projection that suggests that, you know, it's, it's going to do half, if not a third, of what the film that it's a sequel of did back in, in March of 2019. That's a problem. And, and it's a mm. problem where, yes, if you, you have a wonderful, delightful end product with She-Hulk, but when it was $25 million an episode, and, and this article points out that that's more than any episode ever of Game of Thrones, that's a problem. It, it, it's yeah. more a notion to the effect of, okay, you need to rein this in. You need to keep the same level of storytelling and, and quality, but you need to to rein in the financials on this because it's not making sense at this point. And you've also got a Bob Iger who has decided the way to make Marvel special again is you spread things out. So I wonder if going forward here, we will see like an extreme stomping of the brakes. You know, if we'll suddenly go from three Marvel Studio you know, movies that, you know, we've been enjoying to two and see the number of limited series that are out there cut way back, you know, all with the notion of let's make this stuff special again. And Well, isn't that going to just make it seem like another extra two years tacked onto the calendar before we can get to Secret Wars just because everything's slowed down by a third? You know, you're you're pushing everything back as a result. And the other thing is, like, I know that She-Hulk may have been expensive to make, mm -hmm. but they're also, it was the very first time that they were creating She-Hulk effects. They were. There's they were. a lot of time that has to go into designing what the thing looks like in real life. And they go, hey, this is what we got, boss. And they go, oh, my God, what is that? Oof. Try again, please. And you, oh, well, this don't look so great. And you, you redo it four or five or six times before it actually gets to being anywhere near screen ready. I think now that they've got it dialed in, if they did a season two, it should cut the, the cost and the time needed to to go because they've got a digital model that looks good. And if they want to, you know, improve it, they, okay. they can. Uh, but. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you one last story before we go here. Sure. That th this is, you know, <laughs> what you're saying is always the conversation up at Pixar when it's, oh, okay, it's time to make Toy Story 4 or right now <laughs> We've Toy Story the 5. Assets. Yeah, you just got to yeah. puppeteer the puppets. That's all, and baby. It's like, and it's like, no, no. Every time they make a, a Toy Story movie, they have to rebuild the rigs because there have been, you know, so get many changes and advancements in the tech. And, yeah. And, and yeah, and more to the point that production pipeline has changed. So we can't use the old models to make the movie. We have to rebuild it. And it just, you would think there would be cost savings, but it's like, oh no, you know, you know, I mean, again, that's the cruel part of show business, but, but, but again, you're the guy, you know this, I mean, you're mm -hmm. the guy who does 32nd street, who, who does, you know, the, the, the show about Madison Avenue and, and how, how brutal that world is and, and what, you know, they will do to, to make sure that we're, we're buying our candy and we're buying our soda and we don't know why we're doing it, but God, we're going to buy that candy and that soda. Mm -hmm. Speaking of which, what's going on on 32nd street this week? We talk this week about, uh, let's say you've got a nasty tarnished name and uh, you'd like to get it scrubbed clean, donating millions and millions of dollars to various charities that your opposition adores and loves is a great way to get them to change their opinion about you without them even realizing it. Found out Walmart donated a whole bunch of money to COVID uh, response. 
And then we did the math and figured out most of it was to put the stickers in the aisles to tell you what six feet apart is across 10,000 stores across America was like, and then you, it's like, oh yeah. And then you've got hand sanitizer and masks for your employees. And then we did the math and go, well, son of a bitch, that seems about the same amount that they claim to have donated to COVID response. It was the bare minimum that they needed to stay open. Huh? Weird. <laughs> okay. So just review here. Boy, we, we're making people happy in, in all sorts of directions with light, silly, fun shows. Yeah. Yeah. H- hello to the Walton family in Texas. There you go. But, yeah. but seriously, folks, you know, you may not like what you hear, but you will learn a lot if you listen to 32nd Street. So definitely check out Aaron's project over at Patreon. Oh, uh, speaking of Patreon, Len and Mai's new project, Disney Unpacked. Second episode of our new video series drops this Sunday, November 5th. Yeah. Uh, this is our Crushes Coasters show. And speaking of things you, you should be checking out, we have a bunch of other podcasts here. We have, of course, Disney Dish, which I do with Len Testa. Uh, we also have Fine Tuning, which I drew with Drew Taylor. By the way, Drew has his own outside show, uh, Light the Fuse, the official Mission Impossible podcast. I will be recording a brand new Looking at Lucasfilm with Brian Gaughan later this weekend. And we finally have a release date on Dial of Destiny, by the way, December oh. 1st on Disney+. Plus. So Sweet. I've been looking for it every every like Wednesday or so. I'll jump on and go, is it here yet? Is it here yet? No? All right, fine. I'm not paying for it. <laughs> I've already got Disney Plus. I mean, I feel like I've already paid the Disney tax, so I'm not going to pay it again. You and me both. You and yeah. me both. Okay. One final thing here, folks. I uh, want to remind you, uh, we're out there in social media. Aaron, you're, you're still Aza prodding it, right? Still Aza prodding it. And uh, yeah, I've, I've been rather busy, so rather radio silent over on X. But uh, every once in a while, I'll, I'll jump in and, and chirp something out. Cool, cool, cool. I myself am on X and Twitter, also on Instagram as Jim Hill Media, also on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. And a last, absolute last thing we'll ask you, folks, could do Aaron and I a favor if you could head over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend, well, not just the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney, but if you could also put in a plug for 32nd Street, that would be helpful. And... I think that will do it for this week. And again, I apologize if it was a kind of a downbeat show, but this time next week we'll be inches away from actually seeing the Marvels, which again looks good to me, but you yeah. know, it, it's hard to overlook the whole four weeks of research. I think and- there, there's just been negative publicity and negative, negative, negative on Marvel and people just want to, you know, when you're number one and you're big and huge, everybody wants to kick you and knock you down a peg, bring you back down to our level, Mr. Tough Guy. And uh, so then you start doing stuff like going, hey, that uh, Marvel's, it's not going to do so hot. And you may have legit reasons why you think it's not going to do so hot, but until the actual thing comes out and you can actually look at you know, what the ticket results are. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think people are just kind of, you know, being negative on Marvel as a brand is the hip thing to do in news right now. So fine, okay. you know, under under projecting, they'll look that much better when they outdo the number. Okay. But here's something that, that Mr. Adams is right. And tell you what, come back for, you know, the, the next couple of shows and see if it, 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 what he predicts pans out. But for now, thanks for listening, and we will be back soon.